Welcome to another episode of the Tromedy Hour, everybody. It is a it's a weird day in New York today, uh, actually. I'm your host, uh, Jonas Barnes. I'm the only host today. Lauren is uh, she's recuperating from her trip to Alaska and her comedy festival that she did up there. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a weird day in New York. Usually with these, you know, nothing crazy has been happening aside from regular New York shit. But uh, today, uh, today we had somebody try to shoot up one of our uh, subway stations, which is that's not a normal occurrence uh, in New York. There's a lot of masturbating in the subway stations in New York. Uh, a lot of drug deals, uh, people taking the shit on the staircase. Like those are things that happen in New York subways, but. Definitely not a lot of shootings. It's not a thing that really happens. And uh, it happened this morning pretty early. And it's been it's been a day. Uh, so, you know, we what we do on the show is we talk about dark shit. We talk about crazy stuff. We talk about all the things in our brain that haunt us. Uh, and we uh, we get into some deep, dark stuff. And uh, just a disclaimer um, per usual on this. Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor licensed in any way, shape or form. That's not what we're doing here. Um, we're just a couple of regular people talking about stuff that regular people go through much like yourselves. Uh, and we're just talking about it here today. And I'm really happy to have our guest here today. Uh, my guest today is a comic that I had been following for quite a long time uh, online and um, briefly met a long time ago. Um, and uh, I've been following his entire story online, what's been going on with him. Uh, but I'm going to let him get into that a little bit more with you guys, uh, tell you about who he is, what he does. But I want to welcome to the show uh, my guest today, Jesse Case. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well, man. How are you? Good. You know, given yeah. given what happened in New York today, I'm, I'm OK. You know, well, I luckily, gotta... that's the only bad thing in the news. So everything else is <laughs> awesome. You know, um, I feel like we're lucky that the news, I feel like we're lucky that all the pain in the world is isolated to this one event. Sure. Everything yeah. else is totally cool. The news so, is just sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate that this happened, but in such a safe, cool, moving in a good direction world, I feel right. like, you know, these things happen and, um, you know, it's, it's worth it for all the progress we're making. Otherwise. We do. We have to take just these little dark, little dark nuggets and we have to just be okay with those because everything yeah. else is just perfect right now. It's such, well, it's so such euphoria elsewhere that Absolutely. I feel like, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's just like garbage, man. It's, it has to do, it's weird how much it ties in even with mental health stuff is like, you want to stay informed, but at these days, like, self-care i mean just just acknowledging reality might go against self-care it's weird right. yeah <laughs> it's like it's you know, too much man <laughs> it really is and also like this the shooting that happened today like <clears throat> we were talking about this before we were recording but like conspiracy theories popped up immediately yeah like they were triangulating which station it was and like which direction it was going and it was like well clearly this is targeting this group of people because of this and it was a fucking dude that put on a gas mask through a smoke bomb and then decided to shoot up the place. So it was like, can you even imagine if it was in Astoria, though, like if it was the Q train? Oh, right. If it was like if it was in the, straight Greek neighborhood. Yeah. But I mean, if it was the Q, like the the QAnon people, like it'd be insane. Per, yeah, of course they would run. They would absolutely just go completely insane with it. Yeah, because yeah, man. clearly QAnon people are very rational people and you have to give them something to go insane about like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I'm um, truth. Trutherism is it blows my mind in every way. Like it's such a new um, denial of proof of things. Like I don't, I don't know, man. Like I don't know how there are uh, like flat earthers and stuff. Um, with that, that one is like like the least harmful one. Out it's of all the of least. Them? It's the least harmful, but also like you can't prove something more than the shape of the planet. Like there's right. no there's no fact that is factier than the, <laughs> than, that. The shape, yeah. than that. You yeah. know, so there's literally people up in space that look down at it and go, "Oh fuck me, it's round." Like, yeah, like like it's the most facty fact. Absolutely, uh, the shape of the planet you live on is is like not. There, nothing has been less debatable in history than, than, that. I mean, yeah. than that, you know, uh, there, was, <laughs> there was a guy that uh, there was a guy that was a flat earther and he was, uh, you know, hell if I remember what his actual occupation was, but he said that he was going to prove that the earth was flat by getting in like this one man rocket ship thing. That oh, yeah, was, I remember that. I remember that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he went up into the air and I think he went up in the air, like maybe a hundred feet. And then just went straight back into the fucking ground and just died immediately. And it was just wow. like, that was, well, you did not prove your case, sir. And also you're going to see whether there's an afterlife or not immediately. Right. Like, sure. Sure. Went yeah. for two, con- two conspiracies in one there. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it is. It's weird because this whole thing happened and like everybody, you know, obviously people in New York were freaked out and everything. And yeah. we live in the age of social media. So information started flying around and it was just like oh it was a shooting oh it was a shrapnel bomb oh it was a terrorist attack oh it was just a guy that was pissed and like it's it's a weird thing like i mean you're familiar with new york obviously because you know you were talking about the q train just a little bit ago too but like when certain things happen in new york new york turns that new yorkness up to a thousand sure and like, have you ever seen the thing that happens where somebody tries to kill themselves by jumping in front of a train, but they don't like they don't do it. And then everybody that's on the platform is fucking pissed. Like they're pissed because <laughs> now this this person has fucked up their day and their right. schedule. Like sure. they're like, dude, and you can see these videos on like YouTube and stuff where this dude that tries to jump in front of a train and fails at it is just getting roasted by these new yorkers they're like yo kill yourself on your own time man i gotta get to work <laughs> like, just shit like that yeah yeah that is it's such um, a new york attitude yeah just the um it, do you think that there's a is there a weird collectiveness in that lack of empathy though because new york also comes together in of course really really great ways so it's almost like funny it is i mean not that it's funny for the guy getting roasted but I mean, um, it kind of is for him, though, stuff. Right. I mean, like, it depends on why he's doing it, because I mean, if this was a guy that was literally actually like for real, real trying to kill himself, then it's not funny for that guy. Right. But if do you was, imagine the reaction would be the same then? Because I, th- I feel like every, I mean, New Yorkers are good people. I mean, as are. much as you could say about anywhere else, you know, right. It's like, they are. And I think that's something that's interesting about New Yorkers as a people is that, yes, they do come together like especially for the greater good in a situation because like i've seen a person i've seen on the on the subway like you'll have a person that is like getting harassed or something like that um and i saw this specifically was a woman that was getting harassed by a couple of um by actually just one dude 
and it was pretty gross. Like he, right. they were, she, she was getting really harassed by this. And there was a bunch of dudes there that were old school New Yorkers. Like these right. guys were, you know, in their fifties, like older dudes. And they all got up and they were like, we don't fucking do that here. Like, yeah. absolutely not. And they stepped into it. And then uh, as soon as the train got to the next stop and the door opened, they legitimately lifted this guy up and threw him out of the train. Wow. And they were like, not fucking happening. Yeah. And like that stuff that, you know, obviously national tragedies that happen in New York, everybody comes together for those things as well. I thought you were going to say then they started harassing her in a more funny way. Uh, I mean, that would be a very like they were they too. were just like <laughs> he was step, he was stepping on their toes. If anything, it's like he was bad at this. We're going to do yeah, better. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we have way better cat calls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy's an amateur. He's like a trust fund kid coming here trying to like cat call. Just you know? throwing out open mic fucking cat calls. Yeah, get out of here. Um, speak, a... Speaking of trains, you're going to hear a train. I live basically on a train track, so you're going nice. to hear one go by, and it's uh, it sucks, but it's what's going to happen. Hey, listen, I'm in New York City in Brooklyn right now, so you're going to hear New York talking to us at times with sirens and yeah. all the sounds of New York that uh, you know that I'm used to now. Um, did you yeah, ever I mean, live? You lived in New York, or did you? No, um, you didn't live in New York. No, I've uh, been in New York a lot. I mean, it's been a big part of my life, but I've never, um, I've never rented property there. You know, yeah. that makes it sound like I was unhoused there. No, I've, I've always, you know, when I'm there, I've always, um, I just, I've, like, you know. squ- I've squatted in New York. No, <laughs> right, right. I've been a mole person. Um, <laughs> No, I uh, lived in the underground abandoned subway stations. <laughs> right, right. Fed off of the tourists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I uh, developed albinism uh, <laughs> due to underground uh, gene pools. No, I. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've spent a ton of time in New York. I love it. I love it dearly. But no, I've never lived there. I. I you lived, lived in, in L.A., right? Yeah, I um, was born in Canada and then raised in the South. Um, so. North Carolina, then Nashville. And then I moved to, um, you know, I was doing, uh, started doing standup and stuff and then moved to Seattle for oh, yeah. two, two years. That, that's where I met you. Yeah. I met you in, that was where I met you was in Seattle. Yeah. See, that's why you're like, this guy is going to be great for my bummer podcast. Yeah, I was just used to that, that vibe. Listen, I, I was never, born, I was born homeless in Portland, so we can bum it the fuck out. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nothing has ever matched my vibe more than the Pacific Northwest. Like I, I just felt so at home immediately. Um, I was like, yeah, nice. Dark at 3 p.m. Great. You know? Everything looks like a Tim Burton movie. This is yep, shit. Yep. I love I'm it. I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles when the comedy stuff started going okay. You know, moved down there and um, lived there for, ew, let me think, I was 24 when I moved. So I lived there for five years and then uh, got ass cancer. Um, well, I discovered ass cancer in my, <laughs> I assume I had ass cancer the whole time, right? It started affecting me. You uh, just found it. I found it. I, yeah, I found it. It's like a Columbus thing. I can't claim. I just, you know, <laughs> like it was there. There, were sure. al- there was, <laughs> there were already tumors there. Well, that's a bad parallel. That sounds horrible. No, they were, uh, <laughs> you know, who knows when the ass cancer started growing, but it started, uh, really affecting. I got really sick and then it took about a year to figure out. And then um, the you mean like you didn't just show up for a physical and the doctor was like, we found a surprise in your asshole. Like it wasn't yeah, like that. Well, like <laughs> as as everyone listening knows, when you go for your yearly physical, most of it is them checking out your asshole yeah. and um, stuff like that. And uh, 
no, I was getting really sick. I like couldn't stay. I was like standing up and passing out. And then I was getting this really bad stomach pain. And, you know, it was, uh, I was, I was losing all this weight really quickly, but without like doing anything to, to inspire that, you know what sure. I mean? I was, I wasn't necessarily like eating healthier or whatever. Um, or, and, uh, and I was just really like weak. So I was going around, you know, I was going around to like free clinics and stuff, like trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, they thought I was like looking for pain pills, you know, they thought I was looking for ah, heroin or something. So sure. I, um, so I wound up, uh, just saving up and paying out of pocket to go to a gastroenterologist. Oh, and, fuck. Uh, they scheduled me. Yeah. I sort of had to like self-diagnose. I was like, no, something's like seriously wrong here. And he thought it was maybe Crohn's or something and then scheduled a colonoscopy. And, um, you know, so I went in there to get the old camera shoved up there, you know, and it was, uh, it was, it was like almost totally obstructed. Oh, this is like a giant, this sucks, you know? So then I got CT scans and all that, and it had spread to my liver and such. So it was, it was like stage four, it was pretty aggressive. So I moved back to Nashville, um, just cause I was like, this is probably not going to go well. Like the stats, the stats on that thing aren't, they're not great, you know, for sure. Um, I mean, the only upside of staying in Los Angeles is that the weight loss really would have made you look good to Los Angelinos. They well, so that, like, it, this is weird, man, because it's, I think that's, I think the shallowness of LA is weirdly one of the reasons it took so long to diagnose. Like I would go out and everyone's like, you look great, man. Well, oh my God. Do I? I was, Thank you so I was, much. I was clearly severely ill. Right. You no, know, like I look back on photos and I, I, it's horrible. Just this pale skeleton. And um, I was like, oh my God, Jesse got hot. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause uh, a lot of people equate very sickly with healthy because yeah. of, um, you know, because of uh, horrible uh, industries and stuff. So because of society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we live in one. So I uh, moved back to Nashville and, you know, the survival chances weren't great. Um, but I did treatment. I was like, all right, you know, give it to me straight. What's going on here? Um, and I basically asked my oncologist, she was like, she's 10 years older than me. She's, you know, she's a younger doctor. And she was like, um, right. and I was like, would you do the treatment? Just be, I mean, I was almost like not going to do it. Cause it's the five-year survival rate is like less than 10%, you know? So it's like, I, you know, what's going on here. And she's like, I would do it. Uh, if anything, just for pain relief. Cause like I was in so much pain. She's like, you know, shrinking the tumor a little, even if it's futile would be nice. Um, cause you could like eat solid food again. And I was yeah. like, all right, all right, let's do it. And then I did that. And that was a years. It was like so many surgeries and it was crazy. It was radiation and all sorts of weird. I had a like ileostomy bag for a while, which is like a colostomy bag, but, uh, grosser and <laughs> okay so real quick i have okay this i have to stop you there for a second because I, I, yeah, i've heard i've heard a couple of people talking about having to have an ileostomy bag like just throughout my network of friends and you know like comics yeah and, you keep a you keep a gross social circle so it's, I, uh, it's really don't know what to tell you <laughs> <laughs> but okay so what is the difference between an ileostomy bag and a colostomy bag Okay, so we get uh, real gross with it. I don't give a fuck. Let's no, do it. no, it's not. So you know, uh, you've heard of food. You eat it, right? Yeah, you've heard of it. Okay, so it goes into your stomach, um, and uh, the first thing it does is it passes through the small intestine, right? And 
everyone has a sphincter. You got a sphincter. It's right there in your butthole. It's like the uh, butthole hatch. Sure. Um, you know, it's like and, the doggy door, but for shit. Yes, exactly. You got that, but you have more than one. Uh, you got them all in there. They're all over the place in there. Okay. Um, and they're different valves. You know, you think about the ship and alien, you know, or like oh, you're okay. trying, you're trying to stop the Titanic from sinking. You know, you got those different valves going on to stop. The Absolutely. Water. Yeah. Um, so you got sphincters, uh, <laughs> all over, man. And you never um, knew you had so many sphincters guys. Now we know. Now, you know, you have multiple sphincters and, uh, sphincter muscles, you know, and sure. All right. So you got your stomach and it, it, uh, you know, starts breaking down your food and all that. Then it travels to your small intestine and the end of your small intestine is called your ileus. Um, then it goes through a, your, when it goes through your ileus, that sphincter system, then it goes into your large intestine, which is also known as the colon. Right. right. And the, the colon reabsorbs the water from all that stuff. Cause when it's in your ileus, it's still kind of like vomit, but like brown vomit. Oh, okay. All right. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. So if you throw up, it's mainly, it's just food and stomach acid and stuff for sure. Uh, some bile maybe, but once it passes through that, uh, the nutrients have been taken out. It's starting to decompose. It's Brown, but it's, it's still like vomit consistency. Once the, once the water is sucked out of it in your colon, it turns into a turd in which for you to plop in your, wherever you wish to plop it you know okay so Um, this also makes sense in the difference so like if you have the shits like if you have diarrhea and it's just like you know particularly gross like it's a it's a situation where the water has not not has not been reabsorbed properly gotcha okay that makes sense um so a lot of times the water is not being reabsorbed because like if you have food poisoning your body is kind of worried uh to reabsorb it it's like there might be some some bacteria in there get it all get it get everything out of there so this also this also makes sense with like narcotic constipation because if you take a bunch of narcotics it gives you like a super turd that's just like it's not it's angry and it it fucking hurts to come out like it's sure one of those diamond diamond uh turds you know right right i think that's why it's called black tar heroin it's more the shit rather than the drug I think I think you might be onto something there. Onto something. So uh, the way that an ostomy works um, is they cut open your stomach, right, and pull out. Uh, they they dip down a little hook in there, right, like a coat hanger type thing, and they sure. pull out a loop of intestine, small intestine or large intestine. They pull out a loop of it, and they they punch a hole in that loop. And that's called a stoma. And then a bag attaches to that. So what that does is it bypasses everything after it. So a colostomy bag, it is kind of like tur- like it's like turds coming out into sure. a bag. Although you can't, you can't control it. You don't have any control over that. The only time you get to control it is at the butthole. So, so if you start bringing that stuff out pre-butthole, it's just whenever. And that's okay. Yeah. That's why you need the bag or else you would just go take a stomach shit. Sure. Okay. That's a, that is a term I've never heard for it. And I feel like it needs to be used more. Well, that, I am using the scientific oncological terms here. They're like, you're going to drop a stomach deuce. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Uh, and I, then they, no, they said, and it's going to come out all fucking willy nilly. And that was right there <laughs> in the pamphlet, you know, um, man, so, an ileostomy- so much better pamphlets than I had. <laughs> yeah. So an ileostomy is, um, when you have your stoma in your ileus pre 
uh, pre-large intestine and generally, so the water hasn't been reabsorbed yet. So gotcha. it's, uh, it's just a messy nightmare and comes out all willy nilly. And most so, of that. So an ileostomy is like the forbidden Capri Sun. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, most of it is after you've had a big colon surgery or a colon resection where they take a large chunk out of it. Um, that has to heal without a bunch of shit passing by it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that they, makes sense. So, so while that heals, if they remove a large chunk of your colon, they'll, they'll cut the ileostomy. They'll, they'll like bypass it up top and, uh, to let it heal. And then they do a reversal and they pop it down there. So the bag, a lot of times after a colon resection is temporary, it's like for it to heal. Right. So mine sure. was, I think I had mine for like four months or something. I was rocking, rocking that bag, rocking the know? bag. Yeah. Um, and then I would just hang out in really loud places cause it's very noisy. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it just I... makes hor- the worst sounds you've ever heard. You're the gurgling, weird farting sure. noises just coming out of your stomach and the, the amplification of it because of your weird stomach cavity. It's, it's horrible, man. Yeah. Yeah. That makes horrible. sense. Actually. That does make sense. I've had a couple of people that have had various stomach issues. Like a friend of mine had Crohn's disease. I've had a couple of friends of mine that have had Crohn's disease and yeah. it's, it has, um it's fucked their world up since they've had it like it's you know it's a thing and then i also had another friend that had to get a stomach surgery and they had an ileostomy bag compared to my friend that had crohn's that had a colostomy bag at a certain point you know and so that's why i was curious i didn't know that what the actual difference was for it but yeah i didn't mean i didn't mean to get like way too detailed if that was no i'm glad you did that makes i probably could have explained it in like one sentence like just the cutoff you know Small Fuck intestine, all that. I large want, intestine. I wanted the details, man. You and gave the, me the details. You know, we got, we, yeah, we got the down and dirty on it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm um, into that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not into that like that. That weird. was a weird way to say it. Hey, man, whatever you're into, whatever you're into is fine. We don't kink you know? shame here. We don't no, kink shame on no the show. No, there's no kink shaming. You know, it's you got another hole, use it. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> so I've I've also heard that before too. Um, weird <laughs> friends got some weird friends in my life. Um, so. All right. So now like you were in LA, then you moved back to uh, Nashville. You moved back to Tennessee. I moved back in with my parents at 29. So dope. Oh yeah. That had to be fun. (laughs) And like, but what a reason to have to move back though. It'd be different if it was like, no, I went and tried to live in my car for six months and now I'm a fuck up. Can I come back home, mom? It's like, no, I might, I might die next month. Like it's just, I have have no idea. Yeah, there is that, but it's also weird when something so epic like cancer like stuff they make movies about happens it does tend to immediately become the biggest problem but it's not like I was crushing it you know what I mean like it's not like I was feeling great and everything like I mean I had a career I was like doing I mean yeah I was doing what I wanted and loved and blah 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 uh that's cool I guess but like it's not like I was living the best healthiest life you know sure um I mean, or, being a being a comedian in Los Angeles, especially, you know, Los yeah, my Angeles. Problems, my problems didn't begin with cancer. Right. Like, you know. <laughs> so here's a, this is one of the reasons I um, wanted to talk about this, too, because I think obviously with anything, anything significant that happens in a person's life, like cancer or, you know, any disease that is something that is that kind of a, you know, a situation, something that's that, you know, potentially dire or whatever the case may be. Um, Did that cause like a big problem with your mental health or was it something that you were able to kind of keep an eye on when everything was happening? 
I handled it extremely poorly. I, okay. um, <laughs> so, um, it was weird, right? This, this feels, uh, fucked up to say, but like a small part of me, and if nobody relates to this, it's totally fine. A small part of me felt a small tinge of relief, not because of, um, uh, like end of life reasons or anything like that. I mean, I want, I, I was not, I didn't want my existence to cease, Sure. but, um, I, my, my whole life, uh, and I didn't realize it for years and years, but my whole life, I've had a massive anxiety disorder where it's, it's been there for so long. It's not like there was some start point that's, you know, like I can, I can root it on this. I mean, certain things, right. certain things in life, like fuck you up and make things worse, but I've had this like OCD hyper anxious thought pattern since I was a baby. And um, so I just knew that as reality. I just knew that as how the brain works. That's just, you know, I didn't know. That was your, that was your reality. Yeah. I didn't know alternatives to that. Right. Um, So catastrophic thinking has been just my friend, my whole life, you know? And then when catastrophe actually hits, when I say relief, what I mean is it was like, oh, I don't have to worry about catastrophe anymore because it's here. Sure. You know, it was like this weird sense of, um, well, this is obviously the worst thing that could happen. And so you, you get this like automatic mindfulness. You're just like, okay, well, I'm still just sitting here during the worst thing because, right. you know, all the fear you have is of the fear of how you'll feel. And generally, I, I find uh, in life, you're probably stronger than you think. Um, I tend to believe that, too. I think that's universal. I mean, if, if you even something like like the pandemic, right? Um, if you go back three years and told everybody, hey, you know that in a year, everyone is going to be in a mask. You're not going to be able to go outside. You're like, this is going to be happening. Uh, most people would be like, I would jump off a bridge. Right. You know, but you just sort of handle it. And I think that's the weird. It doesn't it doesn't mean you handle it well or in a healthy way. Um, I think I was in shock. I think there was some mania. I certainly like the addiction stuff came into play, which I had to take care of. Sure. Um, Yeah, but I uh, was it like a thing where you did like a lot of self-medicating when you got like the diagnosis? Sort of. Um, it was, I mean, yeah, I, I was drinking a lot. I, and, uh, I've been sober now for like years, but I was, I was, yeah. uh, thanks man. It was, um, I had to like, I don't know how to explain it. I, um, and obviously that was the complete wrong thing to do. I mean, it was, it was obviously, uh, silly, but I, I feel like having, I feel like having ass cancer and then being like, you know what, I'm going to put alcohol into my body, which totally does great things for my bowel movements. That's yeah, going yeah, abso- to be a real great thing. Yeah. Yeah. If you can look down and be like, am I shitting blood for a or B? I don't know which yeah, one. Yeah. If you've from. never uh, dumped a 12 pack into an ileostomy bag, I suggest it <laughs> for everybody. If you want a weird, you want a fun experience. I, um, yeah. So like my thing, like I was doing treatment, but I wasn't like in hospice. It wasn't, it hadn't been diagnosed yet as terminal, but that, that was always, you know, a day away at any given point. Sure. So I didn't really get to dabble in hope where, um, you know, like you go down to the cancer clinic 
when you're going down and getting chemo and stuff, it's even like the nurses have these shirts on that say like infusing hope and all that. And I, I, uh, didn't have that luxury really. Yeah. So I wanted to accept, I, I was like, this time is the only time I have, like, this is it. And that's true for everybody, Sure, but it, it was extremely intimate to me. It was like, okay, this is, um, it was almost like feeling anxious or feeling sad or, or doing anything other than having a good time was a complete waste of time. Um, now that's not sustainable. That's probably hypomania, but I just like, I don't even know if it was self-medicating as much as complete apathy. Sure. Um, it does make sense. Mistakes were made. You know what I mean? So, right. That's, so that's not for me. Um, but I mean, it, it makes total sense to like, if you were to break it down, it does make sense to look at something like a, like a cancer diagnosis like that, even if it hadn't been diagnosed as terminal yet, it still makes sense to look at that and say, okay, the time that I do have left, I'm going to have a fucking good time. Now, what that good time is may not be healthy, you know? Exactly. Oh, hundred percent. And, and I also like, it's still, I mean, I realize in hindsight, of course, not leaning into it fully, it's still avoidance, right? Sure. So as much as I could tell myself, no, man, I'm just trying to have a good time. Uh, it was 100% self-medicating hundred percent. And then it was yeah. like, eventually I was just like blacking out every night. Um, that's always not fun. Like, <laughs> Oh, it's so horrible, man. Yeah. It's so horrible. And like, I was so in it and, you know, in hindsight, of course, just like, I was fucking terrified and sure. had no boundaries. And it was just like really awful and embarrassing. You know, I might be yeah. the only cancer survivor that is apologizing to people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I feel like you'd be surprised. Maybe, but I mean, it's like it's not exactly as graceful as the movies, you know. Right? Um, they they fought a gallant battle. I, dude, I folded immediately. <laughs> I was immediately. I was, if anything, I was a draft dodger in the war. It's like I was not wearing a suit of armor. It was a suit of paper mache. Yeah, <laughs> just, I uh, I did not wage battle against my cancer. I yeah, I tried to make friends with it and hung out with it and. Uh, I mean, it got, it got dark, man. It was weird, but I, I didn't want my mood to be contingent on a good outcome because I didn't have that luxury. Sure. So I was like, that's why I say that about the hope thing. It's like, if you have, you have all this hope, you know, you're, you're scared, but you're like, I'll feel good if the plane lands safely, I'll feel good if this outcome happens. And I had to be like, I have literally no control over this and right. I need, I need to feel good now. Um, or I'm going to feel fucking stupid, you know, like I imagine like being on hospice and they're giving me the morphine drips and like, it's getting on down there to the wire. And I imagined like, what would it be like if my last three months were miserable and scared before this about this potential outcome Sure, that that came anyway? Like it's fucking pointless. Could you you imagine being in that hospice care and then being like, fuck, I filled out my taxes. Why the fuck did I do that? Like that took so much time. I could exactly. But I mean, that's, that's another thing is I like completely quit doing stuff like that, where it was like, uh, like, man, I, I, I wasn't really planning on surviving. And so then I was like, like, when I had a good outcome, uh, dude, I had like no money. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus Christ, man. Um, really you know, blew, that, like, blew all that money that I had. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, I really told a lot of pretty high profile comedy bookers to fuck off. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Now I, uh, now I need to call them again. 
and <laughs> like listen have some apologies to make <laughs> yeah no, thought absolutely. i was gonna be dead by now <laughs> mm-hmm. yep guys listen in my defense <laughs> <laughs> i might have acted a little out of sorts <laughs> yeah look maybe i didn't you know i was uh i yeah it was just no boundaries it was it was pretty weird so then um it's been a lot of mental health care since then i, I that's the, i think that's the main the main aftermath has been uh, the insane amount of therapy um, to sort of put it all together and not, not construct some narrative for myself or whatever, but just like um, you can't go back. You can't disappear back into the matrix after you right. like nonstop stare at death and make friends with it. So, okay. How do I like, how do I build a life that is uh, healthy and okay with this sort of I after this eye opening that I, I don't know. And of course there's like tons of PTSD and sure. weird, weird shit, you know, of course, you know, therapy is something that comes up a lot um, in the show and just, I would, like, I would, I would imagine it would be yeah. weird if it was never discussed. Right. If, if somebody's just like therapy, what the fuck are you talking about? But it's, it's a weird thing because I think a lot of people are rightfully afraid of therapy in the sense that like, one of the reasons that you go to therapy is to unload a lot of the things that you've been pushing underneath whatever it is that you're, you know, doing to not take responsibility or to not feel those things, you know, whether it's booze or drugs or whatever the case may be, whatever it is that your thing happens to be that covers all that up, bringing that stuff to the surface, the process of doing that fucking sucks. Like it, it is not fun. No, no, it's not. It's, um, no, it's horrible. I mean, it's like, you have to, I I mean, I think eventually it's fun when you start seeing outcome, it's like working out, right? Like going to the The gym sucks, Yeah, but, but eventually you look forward to it because you know what you're doing for yourself mentally. Yeah. And the end game, the end game that you have from pulling all that stuff out and actually dealing with it and actually processing it that is yeah good. it's that think, weird relief that you get i think some people don't have to i mean i'm not like if your escapism um from your if your if your avoidance from your own bullshit and fears and whatever uh is healthy um you know i mean it's rampant in the comedy community people are like i mean you do when you do comedy of course you feel like it's obsessed. You feel you hate holidays because there's no spots, you know? Right. Absolutely. And it's like it, that level of addiction. I mean, I'm not sure it's healthy. Um, I think it but it's something. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly there. So I think some people that like, um, I don't know if, if it's, if it's in a way that's not kicking your own ass eventually, I mean, people, right. get addic- well, it's like I was saying, people get addicted to working out or they go running all the time. Sure. Uh, or something like that. A lot of that is, I think, just some form of avoidance. But it's not like you can't just sit there and live in existential threat, shit show dread all the time. You have to of do course. Um, yeah. So I, I guess my point is, if it's not backfiring on you too hard, I don't really mind it. I don't I don't really mind the ignorance is bliss thing. It's when it starts like making you significantly worse. Right. You know, there's no option but to force it. Right. I mean, I guess I guess you would call that like a mental rock bottom. Like if it hits you anyway, if it catches like 
I mean, that's what a lot of people with like addiction stuff struggle with is they're spending their whole lives trying to suppress this thing. And I think that's why the drugs and the booze and whatever feel, they feel better to you than they do to most people. Sure. Because it's not because of what it's giving you. It's because of what it takes away. And you're like, you feel relieved for an hour. Right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You're like, oh, this thing I always fucking feel is I can handle it for a minute. Yeah. So why wouldn't you want to feel like that all the time? Yeah. That's, you I know, mean, and, and, and of course you would like, of course you're going to become an addict. It's not your fucking fault. Like, right. of course, of course you are like you, I remember like, like some people get like high, the, you know, and they're just like, uh, Oh, this is cool. You know, this, and then they they'll do it once a month at parties or whatever. Uh, with me, I was like, I need to feel like this all the time. Yeah. And I didn't, and I didn't realize that that's just a mental health issue. Yeah. That was unaddressed. Right. Right. Um, that's what happened with me too, with mine. Yeah. Like, and the reason I brought up the therapy thing is because, um, I was terrified of therapy. I was, I was terrified of it because I initially was like, it's very clear to me that there's something underneath this that I haven't dealt with that is scaring me so much that I would rather do all these things to not deal with it than just fucking try to, then try to take care of it. And it was something like my person, personally, my thing was that I held on to, I held on to a hatred that I had for my biological father okay. uh, since the day that he died when I was 13 and okay. it took 25 years right? It, like to, to figure this out, to figure out why, um, you know, I was holding on to it so much and all these things. And really yeah. what it came back down to was it came back to that. I didn't hate him, but I hated who he was when he was fully within his addictions, right? Because he was a catastrophic cocaine addict. Like he okay. was, he had it was weird because he had a uh, he big problem with cocaine and alcoholism which is exactly what my problem was but he was the type that when he was drug sick like he didn't he wasn't like one of those people that would physically abuse me as the child right never physically abused me he did physically abuse my mom but not me mm. and when he was not drug sick he was it was check and hide like he was the right. sweetest fucking most loving father in the world when he wasn't drug sick. But then as soon as that stuff hit him completely different monster, you know, and yeah. I just never dealt with that. And then when I went to therapy and I uncovered all of it and like really processed and dealt with it and cried so much, like there was sure. just, it was fucking pain, just like oh, yeah. getting all this pain out. But after I did that, that's when I was able to be like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, I need to, you know, I need to, uh, stop doing all the things that I've been doing to try to bury all this shit because now that I'm actually processing it, I can stop fucking hurting myself with all this stuff. And also, dude, isn't it so fucking annoying? I think one of the, one of the things about going to therapy too, that people are afraid of is it, it is annoying how cliche we all turn out to be. For sure. You think you're, you think you're this super unique person and then it's just some shit with your dad. Right. Exactly. All right. You know, like it's, it always, it always just boils down to some weird shit with your parents or something. And you're like, it's all some family shit. Yeah. And you've had this narrative your whole life that you're this like unique, artistic, brooding fucking genius. And then it's just like, nah, I just uh, have some weird stuff with my dad because he didn't play catch with me enough. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh God. I'm such a fucking normal. Like like, (laughs) fucking, it's not even, it's not even, didn't even try to be unique. Just it's my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I know, man. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, there's, I think there's also things that are strange with, um, 
there's, you don't want to uncover this stuff, but then also like, there's this notion that to process things, to get through them, um, you have to, it's not just things you're afraid of, but it's things that at the time of entering therapy, there are things you don't want to do. Like, right. uh, cause you know, step one is figuring out the problem. And then step two is what to do about the problem. And for sure, I'm sure, I'm sure like, okay, you figured all this out, but it's like, you didn't feel like forgiving him yet. No, no, that's like a while. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, you had to get to that place too. So right. you keep you keep just peeling it back, and it's uh yeah, it's a lot, man. It's a the, lot. The forgiveness thing was weird too because I forgave him the year after I outlived him, which was super fucking crazy because I mirrored a lot of the problems that he had. So like my temper was dog shit. It was bad. I had a massive cocaine addiction. I was drinking like fucking crazy. Like it was a lot of the same stuff that he did when, you know, when I was younger and it was stuff like, I remember going through like, you know, I live in fucking New York city, like having a cocaine addiction in New York city is the easiest addiction to keep going because it's on every corner. Like it's just, it was so accessible and it was so fucked yeah, up. I've never like, gotten a Coke contact high before until it's like that is true. around. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was crazy. And then after I, I remember that the year after I outlived him, like within a couple of months, I had like this epiphany where I forgave him for everything because when he was fucked up, he was not a father. Like he was, he was right. a fucking monster, but again, when he wasn't fucked up, he was absolutely a father. Like, you know, and you could tell it was stuff like memories would come back and be like, oh yeah, he actually did love me when he was not full of fucking, you know, Coke and whiskey. And so, yeah, that stuff kind of came out after the fact. And that also is after I'd sobered up, like after I'd stopped doing shit, it was kind of like, oh fuck. Like that was stuff that I forgot existed. Like those, those memories and those thoughts and shit, like those were way in the back. Cause all the shitty ones were up front, taking up all the room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it takes up a lot of energy to, uh, it takes a lot of mental energy to have that to, you know, they just carry things with you like that. Um, you don't realize it. it. No, no, of course not. But it takes a ton of brain space. I mean, even the point, like my, like I've, I've wondered before, like, do I have memory problems and things like that? You know, Oh man, did I, did I do too many drugs and fuck up my memory or whatever? And I realized that like my, off the off the charts like anxiety disorder stuff occupies so much mental energy where my if my brain is always in three places at once i of course i'm going to like forget conversations and things like that sure. because i was worrying about something else during that conversation you know and i'll forget details and um it's not really it's just the amount of work my brain is doing uh it it doesn't necessarily I don't know, like mental health stuff takes up a lot of room and it starts affecting other parts of your life, you know, without you noticing for a long time. And then Absolutely. when you do, it's scary. It's sort of like being like, um, it's like Wiley e. Coyote, like walking over a cliff, like, like <laughs> sure. he, he doesn't fall until he looks down. Right. And I, I think so many people Fuck, are, that's a good analogy. That's a like, really good analogy. Yeah. And then you hold up the sign that says like shit. And right. I, I, I think so many people are afraid of looking down uh, you know, and then you, you do, and you fall and, uh, I don't know. Then you buy like an Acme jetpack. Exactly. That's, 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 that's what I'm trying to get to is you got to buy the Acme jetpacks. That's what yes. it is in it's this always... analogy. 
So I guess what you could say is that your father painted a fake tunnel on a cliff face. And you oh, he totally did that. <laughs> you ran into that fake tunnel. <laughs> Very, uh, and that's why it's called Looney Tunes. Jonas, bring it together. <laughs> we are. We're breaking it all down here. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's like, I feel like, especially with your situation, you know, I obviously I um, don't know your situation 100% because I haven't lived through that. But I, I think with a situation like yours where it is something that is, um, you know, a potential terminal situation, sure. um, that's got to be that's got to be hard to take in without falling back on some sort of a um you know, self-medication or, you know, something, some sort of a mental safety net, so to speak, um, that a lot and makes it to where you don't have to deal with those feelings right up front. But like, yeah, yeah. You're dampening them. I mean, it's always there, but it's, uh, yeah, it was a lot, you know, if, if given the chance to do it all over again, which I may get, I mean, you know, there's, I, I got CT scans, uh, next week, you know, I'm, I'm you never know. Just, Cancer is a fickle bitch. It's a fickle bitch, man. Um, so I have sort of already decided like, okay, if I get the worst news and it has, it has popped back up, right. um, I'm going to stay sober for it. You know, like it's not, um, I was already drinking when I got it. It wasn't like some big relapse thing. It just went off the rails. Sure. So I've, I'm like, okay, try to handle it like an adult this time, no matter the outcome, just because I don't, I don't like who I am in those, you know, scenarios like, I, don't I don't think there's any i don't think there's any person in existence that's like i fucking love myself as an alcoholic i like i'm the i'm the best person when i'm drunk like yeah i'm super cool and uh very rational yeah. like yeah i'm very i'm very rational i don't bother anyone it's uh i talk just, very quietly <laughs> yep healthy boundaries you know um, don't ever throw up i remember everything from the night like it's fantastic uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, the I think the hardest part of sobriety is the shame. You're just, it's, I mean, you go through the physical stuff, like, okay, that was a shitty month. And, right. then, you, and then your sleep cycle works itself out again. You're like, okay, all right, I can do this. Uh, but then you hit that, that you hit that like year in mark where you, where you start remembering things sure, and you're like, yeah. oh, fuck. Uh, it's like, <laughs> like, oh, you piece of shit. This like, is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, and then, of course, you see echoes of yourself everywhere because then you're around people where you've been in that spot. Right. Uh, I mean, I see that all the time. It's like, you know, you're a comic, you're in bars all the time. I see, I constantly see Jesse Case seven years ago. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and I can see the pain that they're in and I have empathy for it, but also they're so annoying. Sure. And yeah, it's a oh, uh, fuck. I was him. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I was that guy. Jesus. What did you, what, what did you do when you first got sober? Like, what did you do when you had to do shows and bars and stuff? Like, what was your thing that would keep you safe from, you know, not falling back into it? Or did you have a thing? No, I didn't really have a thing. I, uh, so with me, my sobriety stuff's weird, right? Like I, um, didn't really drink or anything, uh, until I was about 28, or I did, well, I did uh, lightly and just didn't like it because I was on, I was on Paxil. It made the Paxil not work. So oh, yeah, that makes sense. My hangovers uh, were just like bad anxiety and I sure. couldn't stand it. So I was like, yeah, this is fucking stupid. And I was about 21 when I just decided not to drink anymore. 
And then uh, for totally unrelated to cancer reasons, I was just in a weird place. I'd gone through a bad breakup, whatever. I just, I, I just apathetically started drinking when I was like 28. Um, got ass cancer, went off the rails, yada, yada. But I guess, I guess my point is most of my comedy career had been done sober. Like, oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I never liked getting, um, I performed way less when I was drinking. Like I, I never liked going on stage buzzed or whatever. It was, it was like horrible. Um, it's kind of interesting because when I, like when I was doing comedy, like as I've been doing comedy, I would never drink before a show right. because I did it a couple of times early on and I fucking hated it. So I was like, I don't like the feeling of being drunk on stage at all. Like I don't yeah. like that. So I wouldn't drink before I would get on stage. But then like after the shows were done, like for the weekend or whatever, I would just go get fucking destroyed. And I don't yeah, know if it was like, I, because I was like building it up all weekend. So it was like, I can't drink tonight. Can't drink tonight, but I'm going to get fucking destroyed on Sunday. You know, like whatever. Yeah. It is. I mean, there, there's certainly that thing where you start making deals with yourself. You know, you start, yeah. you start bargaining with yourself of when you can get your little reward. And like, I, I went through that a lot with benzos, like probably more so than drinking. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's similar feeling, right? Just gather receptor mayhem yeah, uh, and eventually it all ends at the same place which is uh crying in a fetal position but uh, before before you <laughs> also get, comedy comedy can yes, also end that way <laughs> yes but before you return to you're you're just when i found my inner child it was mainly the crying shitting himself part i mean it's important to be in touch with your inner child that is true that is true <laughs> it was mainly that part it was a lot of vomiting um, a lot of crying shitting puking yeah all that fun stuff Exactly. Weird, weird nap times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you the one drug that's really not fun to do comedy on, and that is cocaine. I'm sure. I used to do a lot of coke, and then I would right. go on stage and I would do a show, and every single time it would manage to be the worst show I've ever done. Like right. it, it was the fucking worst. But, but it also like, adds some context. Like it makes like Dennis Miller make sense and stuff. Oh you know, like it makes a lot of '80s comedy. You're like, oh, I get it. It's it's yeah. weird. When, that was most he, of Robin Williams' personality. Like he's yeah, a legend, like when, and I loved him to death. But he was at when, least eighty five percent cocaine. When you start, uh, it's it's interesting when you start getting into drugs and stuff. Um, looking back on how many of like you realize how many people were completely hammered around you, like adults in your life, and I don't just mean like your dad. I mean like celebrities you looked up to, or. Oh, yeah. um, even teachers, like I look back and I realize how many of my teachers were like day drinking. Like, you know, I had this like science teacher that was clearly hammered all the time. I had no idea. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, had just, art, we had an art teacher that was like that. Yeah. It's just, it's really, um, it's really weird looking back and being like, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, fair damn, enough. They were fucked up the whole time, the whole time. Yeah. Not even, not one day went by where they weren't fucked up in class. Now I'm jealous. Like, I know. You, you had to sit through the class being all fucked up. I know. I still, I mean, I still do stand up on bath salts, you know, that's why like, <laughs> I'll take some, I'll just casually, I mean, like a casual bath salts user. And that's why there's a popular video on YouTube. It's a comedian destroys heckler's face uh, where I, a guy heckles me and I eat his face. And nice. have you done it in Russia and done some casual crocodile uh, over in Russia? No, uh, I've never done, never done crocodile. No. Um, but if I just want like a good chill time, you know, just some I'll, bath I'll salts. Pops. yeah, there's some PCP. Like if I'm just trying to relax after a long day. Dude, listen, a good, uh, nice chilled out angel dust high at the end of the day. 
real yeah, 80s man. Style. Just yeah, just vibe with it. You know what I mean? Put on some <laughs> Brian Eno, do some angel dust. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I've talked to a lot of people about like different sobriety things and stuff like that. And like I like I'm gonna be five years sober in June. So oh, congrats, it's been a little man. while. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you, dude. And, you know, so it's been a little bit and I've gone through phases of it. Like I went through my AA phase and I went through my, um, you know, I'm going to do it myself phase. And that was not very good. And like, I just, you know, I've gone through all these different things and I have like some friends and stuff that talk about their sobriety where they're like, oh yeah, I stopped doing, you know, Coke and stopped drinking, but I still totally do um, hallucinogens, you know, like I'll make oh, yeah, microdose yeah. mushrooms or like whatever like that. I remember the last drug that I did. It was not cocaine. It was DMT. That was okay. the last drug that I did. And it was everything that everybody told me it was going to be. And it was absolutely terrifying. And it was not the reason that I got sober. Like a lot of people have that thing that happens with DMT where they get like this big epiphany or something like that. Mm. That was not what happened with me. Like I did it and I came out of it and I was like, holy fucking shit. I loved that. That was like a horror movie, but like an awesome horror movie that I had control over. Right. I want to do that again tomorrow. So I'm never touching this ever again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's smart though. That's smart. Like you're like, ah, this is a little too good. Yeah, you know? ecstasy was that way with me too. I was like, nope, never again. Did mm. it once. Yeah. Won't touch that shit ever again. Okay. And it's like, so now, like, but I understand why some people do that with their recovery. Like, I do understand why some people, you know, microdose with mushrooms or like do it in a therapeutic sense because I do think, you know, it's not, that's not the way to tell people that are in recovery to do things. But I do understand after doing a lot of studying and stuff like that, that there are therapeutic medicinal you know ways to use things like weed or mushrooms and you know sure. like, and stuff like that and i think you know everybody i mean everybody's I mean, journey on recovery is obviously different yeah and it's also it doesn't have to be there it doesn't have to be so polar like i'm i'm a big fan of just the harm reduction model like right. what's you know are you actively ruining your life no then i mean I, I you know i know a ton of people that like have had to quit drinking but they still smoke weed or whatever sure and i could why would i argue semantics of sobriety with them if they're if like it saved their family exactly yeah you know what i mean it's like, like are you hurting yourself or other people or both of those things no so are you doing like, better it's like you're not a hundred percent there you're not out running marathons on the weekends or whatever but you're right you're doing i mean if look at where you were a year ago, you're doing a ton better. And that is improvement. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be all, you know, this hundred percent all in, you know, thing where you just like go to black flag concerts or whatever. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, you know, going out to some straight edge keggers. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know what people still <laughs> fucking keg full of old duels, whether they're listening yeah, to straight edge punk. Absolutely. Just screaming. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a friend. I actually made a post uh, on Facebook not too long ago that was like, cause I had a friend that was kind of struggling with this because they were new in recovery sobriety and somebody was giving him shit, like, but not giving him shit, but they were like almost clowning on him because they didn't have very much time in recovery and it wasn't that they were clowning on him, but what they were doing was kind of, I think, in their own way, trying to make them not get a big head about being in recovery for like, it was like a month or something like that. And it pissed me off to hear it because it was like fucking literally every day counts. 
Like yeah. every day, every day that you wake up and you're not actively hurting yourself with whatever it was that you were doing before, like sure. that counts. Like that yeah. is important. Every single fucking day that you do that is important. And for somebody to tell them like, oh, you're only a month in, you know, you shouldn't don't get a big head about it. And like, don't get too proud yet. You can, you know, it's just like, fuck you, dude. Like, let the person have the victory, you know? Yeah. Every single course. day on that's a victory. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I'm not into that uh, weird sobriety level shaming. Uh, yeah. Person shouldn't have done that. It's weird. That's it a is, weird thing a- to do. It is a very strange, it's a very strange thing to do. Um, so where you're at right now, you like you live in, uh, you live in Nashville. Do you live like, are you on your own now or do you still live with your parents? I'm on my own. I have this little, uh, yeah, I live in East Nashville in this weird little house next to some train tracks. Um, and I, uh, you know, I like record a lot of music and stuff and they won't tell me when the trains are coming by because of terrorism. (laughs) Okay. Cause it's not a train stop. Right. It's right. just a crossing and they're not passenger trains. They're it's like coal and shit. So sure. they uh, I've called because I want to make a spreadsheet for when it's cool to record stuff. You know, Makes even just sense. a podcast, like pop right. in, pop in, in between trains and uh, they won't tell me. And that's annoying. But otherwise it's, you know, it's fine. Like, do um, they think that you're going to like bomb a train full of coal or like, what the fuck? That's such yeah, a I don't weird know. Thing. I think any, anything that's involved with like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just their policy. They won't tell you like these cargo cargo trains. They won't tell you their exact schedules. Now, I suspect it's because they get backed up and stuff so much because they don't know. Right. You know what I mean? That um, would make more sense that, than, you know, doing it because of like being worried that you're going to do something or like fucking somebody's going to do something to it. It's like, you know, it's going to make yeah. me want to do something. Breaking up my music all the time with your fucking horn. Like that's yeah, going to annoy it's, me into it's doing pretty... something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty annoying. But I've, I mean, I've gotten used to it at this point. It's just it's ruined some really good takes, you know? Sure. Uh, just you're you're just sometimes you're just crushing it. And then you hear that train horn coming in. And it's like, unless you're doing like a weird blues album, it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that ambiance. Did you ever hear the uh, this is kind of an interesting little transition to this. Uh, Fiona Apple's newest album uh is interesting because she recorded it in her apartment in New York city, but she didn't cut any of the background noise out and she did it Mm. on purpose. So what you would hear in the background is like, occasionally you hear like a pot clang or you'll hear like a horn outside or you'll like hear, you know, literally the sounds of New York and stuff. And she just said, fuck it. I'm going to keep it all in there because it's authentic. And I was like, I was like, okay, that's actually kind of ballsy to do on an album. But I also feel like if anybody's going to do that, it's going to be Fiona Apple. She's just yeah, going to be like, I'm no, gonna Fiona fucking, oh, absolutely. Do that. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, a big fan of Fiona Apple. Um, now, I thought that that I thought it was not in New York. I thought it was recorded mainly in Venice. Oh, it might have been Venice. Venice actually. Beach. Yeah, yeah. it might have been Venice. Yeah, she's got like a house out there that just uh, hangs out with large dogs all day um which i that's there's nothing wrong with that i'm nothing wrong with that i think that sounds like the life man you know the couple of times that i've been to venice like i go to uh, i go to los angeles for comedy shit and for photography stuff um you know as often as i can but one of my favorite shows to do in that area is in venice and oh cool it's uh my friend bronson jones uh does a show there called venice underground so whenever i go to um the area i always stick and like stay with him for a little bit Venice is such a cool place, but also it's like, 
it's it's weird because it's not it's everything that you expect it to be and then also nothing like you expect it to be no because, totally. it's like you just have to acknowledge that you're just living in a red hot chili peppers song and no, thank god that's the truth you know what i mean like you're just in a sentient song and you're like okay i mean as long as you accept that right it's like uh, i can walk I can, to the beach but johnny rotten is also screaming at homeless people like what the yeah, fuck is happening yeah, here what's going on it's like this guy is you know this guy's on like a steampunk skateboard he made himself like okay whatever man <laughs> that's fine yeah um <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a scene man it's a scene i don't know so with you living in uh nashville now so you record music do you still um do comedy like do you tour doing comedy and stuff well i haven't uh toured because the i was pandemic pandemic yeah and then um i had to get Fucking like a real world job. ending yeah i had to get a real job during that um but that was working on pandemic stuff so that was weird lean in yeah. you know you got to lean in um that's actually my co-host for the show lauren she fucking got a job working at the city morgue because of the pandemic and she has no medical experience whatsoever yeah and- yeah no you see a lot of dead people down there i was working at a hospital um yeah it's a it's a thing man it's a thing but why not you know and i uh yeah so i did that and then it's not that the pandemic is over but the job wrapped up so for sure um now i'm kind of trying to figure it out again i've also been dealing with this thing where um but yeah i mean i'm for sure gonna get out on the road and stuff i my whole act is like obsolete so i have to work this like i don't really know how to transition back into it working no no i'm just working on a lot of material so it's gonna be like that always takes a while it's not like it's not like i had an act where it was like uh you know half an hour on there's not going to be a pandemic and then half an hour on like russia is awesome like that's not (laughs) you know what i mean like it's not it's not obsolete like that sure um it's just like seems like uh small now like like the the world has gotten so weird so quickly um, that like, who cares about this weird take on appetizers, you know? Sure. I mean, I don't know. I just have different stuff to say, I guess. I don't know. No, it makes sense because so one of the reasons that me and Lauren decided to start this show, like the podcast was because like, obviously we have our reasons for doing it for, you know, hopefully helping anybody going through their shit, but also the show that we literally book in New York city is called the Tromedy hour as well. And it's because everything that we joke about is fucked up. Like, and when I say that, I mean, it's, it's everything that we talk about on the show is very human. And the, the experience of being human is innately fucked up. Like just because of the world that we live in, like everything is, you know, it's nuts. Yeah. It's well, yeah. And so rather than shying away from, you know, darker material or darker subjects or like stuff that, you know, basically society tells us not to talk about, and stuff like that we we lean into it and i think that's one of the things that kind of like as you're as you're writing an act and writing more material that's something that even i've had to deal with like i i've you know i've been doing comedy for shit like 14 years now forever we've all been doing it right ever yeah, yeah. Dude. it's like for a long time and i was looking at videos even from like four or five years ago i'm like who gives a fuck about any of those things that I was talking about? 
Yeah. And like, I mean, and, and, you know, it's not as if like uh, it was all just innocuous, like stuff's been real or whatever. It's just sometimes there are also things I've realized I was, I've been wrong about. Sure. And it's not some like fear of cancellation, whatever. That's completely inevitable with me uh, due to the drinking days. I'm just saying <laughs> it's just a hundred percent inevitable. <laughs> some of those problematic emails you might've sent to a booker here and there. A problematic lot of stuff. Um, and it's just, it's like, okay, well, that's coming. That's great. Right. Um, nothing, nothing like, you know, nothing like um, that would, nothing like a Supreme Court justice. Nothing that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> just saying, um, so, just saying something shitty to the wrong person. Just, just a no boundaries. I think this is funny, but no one else does thing. Sure. You know, a thousand percent. And, yeah. Whatever. You know, and, um, but, there are things where, so not out of a fear of that, there are things that I've, where I've just realized that I was thinking about it from a very weird or narcissistic angle. Um, and it's just, but I think that's a real realization. It's not, it's not like some like a uh, wokeism, right, right. whatever. I mean, I hate that. That's word, such a, that's such a weird I'm, also other argument. Like it's that whole the whole woke versus not woke thing is just it's my personal opinion is it's fucking stupid sure <laughs> don't it I, just it's it ridiculous. seems like another wall that goes up i i think that we're in this weird place uh where it's like people have there's just very very little forgiveness and that's all across the board where yeah. it's like and that's one of the weird things about being sober and a thing about getting sober is that like you know intimately that people can change and constantly every day the world is telling you nobody changes. Right. And it's, so it's like people change all the fucking time, man. Like people drop religions and you know, people do all kinds of people go through huge, massive changes. And um, so it's, you know, I'm changing, we're all changing. Um, So it's weird like changing while also trying to combat the lack of empathy. I don't know, all around. It's just, it's, it's just, we're in a strange place. We are. And that's, you know, know, I mean, that's something to bring up too, because like you have, you have a pretty solid social media following. Sure. You know, like your your Twitter, your, your Twitter is quite popular. Oh, major celeb. Oh my God. You (laughs) kidding me? Oh, yeah. it's insane. But like just so much Twitter ass just has to be just thrown your way all the time. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. My when I open up my phone and check my DMs, there are so many titties in there that my phone gets hot. <laughs> my actual phone gets hot. Yeah. Um, it's brutal. But no, it's like okay, so I'm bringing I bring up, you know, Twitter because it's it can be a minefield. And yes. yes. With you specifically, you know, I've I've seen a lot of the stuff that you've posted on Twitter. And like when I said that I was a fan, I've I've specifically been a fan of a lot of the things and a lot of the jokes that you've posted on Twitter. Thanks, man. And I think, yeah, this absolutely. is this I'm, is mutual. This is mutual, by the way. Thank you, sir. These are not just niceties. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I remember the joke that you made, and it's probably come up multiple times in conversations that you've had, was the one that you did about Dale Earnhardt the Dale Earnhardt joke and the Dale Earnhardt Jr. joke. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the good old wall joke. Oh, um, sure. Sure, but, yes. Deleted. Since deleted, yeah. Since deleted. But the reason I bring that joke up is because I think a joke like that 
is a good example of the way that people look at humor right now because there's two very clear sides of that joke yeah one side is that it's completely fucked up and the other side is that it's actually a very smart joke and it's very funny yeah i I have two thoughts about it too i have yeah i have i have different thoughts about that too and to me i delete a lot of tweets especially ones that go viral i delete most of my viral tweets um like i mean you can find them on reddit and stuff like people cross post shit you know but sure screenshots and shit yeah yeah but i delete most viral tweets because there is a point when it gets too out there it leaves your social circle of just weird comedians and it starts going viral and that's fine but there's a point where uh, not only is context removed but also i realize that um twitter is a minefield because okay like if you're on stage People are getting to know you through your set. They're getting to know you. You you are providing context for things. Uh, they're sitting there and you can make weird jokes or whatever. And they know that it's not from some evil place in your heart. Absolutely. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they know that. And I'm not talking about slurs and shit like that. I'm not talking Completely about different, stuff. Yeah. But I, but I mean, like you're making jokes where they know that the point you're making is not one coming from a place of evil. <laughs> and, For sure. And uh, on Twitter, when something goes super viral, it hits this point where pe- they don't know who you are. They don't know what you're about. They're just seeing this thing point blank as if it was written on the wall at uh, a restaurant. And so some people, like I do understand uh this level of anger sometimes i i mean i i never think it's cool to, like i can't even imagine commenting something shitty at somebody or whatever um it's so weird to me but that tweet for instance the dale earnhardt tweet um people got really mad and yeah. th- then they started tagging dale earnhardt jr well well this guy lost his fucking dad right died in front of him i actually think that's very shitty to see and experience probably for sure. So, to me, it's like, it's not worth it, you know? Which it's totally makes it. sense. It's not, it's not some like, uh, oh man, it, it's like that. It would be a weird hill for me to die on when it's like, well, this, this could have potentially, it got big enough where this could really like, you know, hurt this dude or whatever. I don't know. I can't right. just be like, eh, it's just comedy, whatever. It's like, it's, it's Twitter. Therefore context is removed. Therefore it can be incredibly offensive while if that right. joke was in a 15 minute set towards the end, way more people would get where I'm coming from with it. And I a think thousand percent, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up because I think, especially when it comes to, you know, Twitter, social media and stuff like that, like there's, there's things that I think a lot, like what you just said and the way that you take that into consideration is something that I think a lot of comedians don't do. And I think it is something that is, that a lot of comics need to evolve into doing and it's not like a censorship thing it's not like a lack of free speech thing it literally is just having human fucking decency and looking at it being like the negatives are outweighing the positives on this and the attention that it's getting could legitimately hurt somebody who just saw a really terrible fucking thing of course and 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 it's also like i mean obviously if you did that joke on fallon or something there's still a chance they could see it, but they sure. would know who you are and the things around it would buffer it with where you're coming from. Exactly. I, I think it's like this, right? 
you notice this a lot. If you go to an open mic, a lot of people go up and uh, when it's like their first time and they say horrible, horrible, offensive, horrible shit. And right. it, do- it doesn't work. And I get psychologically why they're doing that is because those are the things that make their friends laugh. Their friends know them already and their friends For know sure. that that's not in their heart. So to them, there's a built-in irony already. So they'll go up and they'll make some super racist joke because they make that joke with their friends who know that they, uh, you know, um, like are a, are a fucking civil rights lawyer in their day job. Or whatever. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, they, yeah. they know that. Right. But uh, so a lot of people that go up to open mics instantly have to realize, and they learn pretty quickly, this audience does not know I am a stranger. They don't know me at all. And then part of the art of stand-up comedy is very quickly becoming not a stranger to a group of strangers. Well, on Twitter, you can't do that. You have like, what, 140 fucking characters and you're just popping up on somebody's feed as some douche. They're not at a comedy show. So it's even even worse than being someone at their first open mic. It's like, it's even worse. It's like you're walking into a Walmart and screaming something and leaving. And so I do get how things can be very offensive uh, to people. And like, I don't want any part of that, man. I don't want to bum anyone out. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not the point of comedy. Like, right. It literally not, is the opposite of comedy. <laughs> yeah. It, like there are some jokes that I've like not deleted because people that are offended are insane people. Sure. But sometimes I'm way like, different. a guy did die on live TV. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of that happening to him, but I can see how people would think I'm making light of a tragedy blah 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 not worth it man not worth it yeah absolutely Um, and that that's something that i think you know with somebody who has the um you know the platform that you do that's got to be something that i think is you know a lot more fresh in your mind than somebody who's you know fucking a tweet here and there gets like what 10 likes or something like that like those people aren't thinking about that kind of thing but i feel like somebody that has your platform you know you kind of have to have that in the back of your head um, at a certain point, yeah. Just, be- I mean, just I, because of the nature of you know the nature of the platform itself, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, absolutely, I, I'm not a huge fan of Twitter or whatever. I, it's like, um, I kind of try to get in, get out. Sure, but I do. It, it's a, it's a total Kobayashi Maru. Like you can't win that website. You cannot oh, no. win. No, impossible. Um, no, it's it's like if a tweet gets big enough, people will start yelling at you. And so I keep trying to figure out why. And it's because like, well, if it gets to a point where it gets outside of comedy circles and outside of whatever circles and eventually it's just popping up on somebody's feed in the middle of England, they don't know why they might think you're some professor or some right. actor or whatever and you're and there's no tone you're just being a shitty dude right you're just being just being a shitty guy yeah and it's like i i personally don't respond in angry ways to tweets or whatever you know but i do kind of get it um so i did my major twitter purge thing when i had to get my real job uh during during the pandemic it was very official involved like federal money for vaccine research stuff and then it was like yeah, it was like this big thing. And uh, they take that kind of thing very seriously, where there's a lot of stuff you can't even talk about, you know, while I was working there. Um, not in a bad way. It's just because it compromises clinical trial data. So sure, that makes sense. It's not, it's not in a creepy, 
uh, way. It's all safe. Get your vaccine. What, what I mean is, uh, <laughs> um, throw that out there. I did, but it was, you know, it. It, was a, it was a double blind study. So you can't be like, this guy got a cold today or what, you know, you just can't. Right. Anyway. Um, you sort of, I really needed the money and really didn't want to get fired. And they had no idea I've ever had some sort of public life was not on the resume at all. Right. Sure. Eventually someone that I'm working with is going to figure out like this dude's like, uh, you seen this guy's fucking Twitter. And I did not want it to like, you know, go up the chain to HR or whatever, where they're calling me in about some, like it had nothing to do with showbiz cancellation. It literally had to be, it literally had to do with, I need to make this $15 an hour. I have to. Like, yeah, it had to do with actual <laughs> survival cancer. It had to do with like a corporate atmosphere that I found myself in because comedy died, right? Right. And it was so weird. And then afterwards, I'm just like, I guess I'm happy they're deleted in case uh, I ever got famous. Like, that's cool. Right. You know, and you know it is, it's such a weird thing too, because I also had to get a day job during the pandemic. I think I honestly, so many comics had to. Yeah. And I remember with my boss because I do brand ambassador work. So I like I go out to stores and different places like that. And I tell people about new stuff that's like a, you know, a startup or, you know, like something like that. So it's kind of a cool transitional thing because I'm a comic. I'm used to talking to people. So it was kind of like right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. But at the same time, I did have to set the tone like immediately with my boss and be like, just so you know, this is who I am as a person. This is how I talk to you. Like, this is how I talk to people. And I just want you to know that I'm not corporate. Like, I'm just, I'm not that kind of person. And if that's somebody that you need, it's not going to be me. So, well, and I, 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 yeah, man, I totally get it. And it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky crossover when you're around like real people, you know, you're hanging out with real people. Um, yeah. It's bizarre. Like, I got this job at this hospital. And this is literally my first day. I forget. This is similar to the Twitter thing, right? Where all context is removed. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't know I'm a comic. They don't know. I completely forgot that. I'm used to only hanging out with comedians or people that are kind of comedy kind of adjacent. Yeah, comedy adjacent. And it was literally my first day. I'm getting like trained in this like research center. And it's in a big, massive hospital complex, right? And so they're like, um, they go, hey, the people I work with, you know, we're all they're just trying to get to know me because it's my first day. They go, Hey, um, the cafeteria at the children's hospital is better. So we're going to pop over there for lunch. You want to come? And I automatically wasn't even thinking, I go, I'm not allowed within 50 yards of kids. And it was just like a total f- fucking joke. Like a right. stupid joke, a throwaway um, joke. Yeah. Throw- yeah. Just a throwaway, dumb, not even that funny joke. Um, I'm allowed by the way, any distance guys, yeah. uh, but my- <laughs> it was a joke. Uh, but they like, didn't know I was kidding at all. They're just like, did they, they were like, Oh, so has the background check not come back yet? And they're talking to me like very seriously about it. Right. Right. Like, well, this is going to, I was like, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I'm, I don't I'm touch kids. Jesus Christ. It was, never, just, it was I'm, a fucking joke. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll go to the cafeteria. And it also was not a better cafeteria. They're full of shit anyway. So <laughs> whatever, but like, listen, um, we can go to the cafeteria and nobody will stop me. I promise. It's not an issue. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I, I had to relearn a lot of just basic stuff because my human base, interaction. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I just mean my baseline uh, conversations that I had, like my normal is so not, I guess, what real people are not to separate it or whatever. I mean, they eventually got to know me and then it was all cool. Uh, then I right. say, say whatever. I can make jokes like that and they'd crack one back. 
but I, but I just mean, uh, I just guess it's a, it's a good example of like what Twitter is. It's your first day at work. They don't know you're a comic. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and also like uh, another thing with uh, something like Twitter is that if you make a joke, like even if you're somebody that has a smaller platform, like my platform on Twitter is jack shit. It's not my, it's not my social media of choice. It's not the one I put my most attention on. So like my follower counts, not high or anything like that, but sometimes you can make a joke. And if you put a hashtag on it, that is a trending topic. Mm -hmm. You have no fucking idea who's going to see that, you know, it just pops up, pops up in an algorithm to, you know, people all over the world, literally. Like I had a hashtag that went viral because I was fucking with, uh, with, um, it was one of Trump's advisors. I can't remember his name now. Um, he was, uh, really nasty looking dude um uh, and bannon, steven miller bannon bannon yeah that's bannon, what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah 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 so i started a hashtag it was literally me and three other me and two other comics for like i don't know half an hour we went back and forth and we hashtagged it with roast of steve bannon and we were roasting him like it was comedy central roast and it sure. was very much an internal comic thing like you know anybody outside of that that didn't watch roast didn't know what we were doing and then after an hour it fucking exploded and yeah. the hashtag blew up. And at first it was like, Oh, this is fun. This is cool. Blah, 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 blah. But then after about two hours of this going back and forth and this thing getting like this um, hashtag blowing up, it started to come back where it was like, this isn't even fun anymore. Like people were literally posting it wish with the hashtag and they were saying, it's not even fun anymore. We're just making fun of the way this guy looks. Like it got right. it, it came all the way around to being like, oh, now we're just being pieces of shit. And I mm. looked at it and I was like, oh, like that was quick karma. Like it was, yeah, that was a that was a quick thing to go right in your face where it was just like, at first it was funny, and then it was like, now we're just being mean. Like now it's now it's not even jokes. Like it's just being right. us being shitty people now. Right, right. I mean, if you're gonna pick someone to be shitty too. I was you know, fine in, doing that. I was yeah, fine in, with in that. your defense, right? <laughs> um, in your defense, yeah, you're not. Uh, it, it's not the roast of Nelson Mandela or something. It's for it's, sure. Steve Bannon is, you know, I I would yell at that guy in a chilies. Um, but I, <laughs> I feel yeah, like that's happened to him a lot of times. <laughs> sure, sure, man. Um, well, you got to get in on that awesome blossom. You, you're not going to not go. You're not going to not get the awesome blossom. You have to. Um, is that the chilies version? Blooming Onion is out back, right? Bloomin' Onion is Outback, Awesome Blossom is Chili's, and then I okay. don't know what their other namesakes are that copy each other, but yeah. Right, it's like is... the, the volcano and Dante's Peak of restaurants. Like, they just it, sort of, oh, fuck, they really sort of is. are the same restaurant, you know, but not really. But Pierce um, Brosnan only goes to one of them. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. Just, fuck, exactly. that is what it is. And I feel like that's Chili's. I feel like Tommy Lee Jones would not be caught dead in Chili's. I feel like he's only an Outback man um totally feel that way too yeah you would never no. see him step into a chili's no no you'd never see that uh, new york new york actually made the full change over to uh they they had the final infinity stone of uh of chain restaurants and chain resorts that just finally came up we have a margaritaville in new york now well that's that's i mean i think that's great i think that uh you know i think jimmy buffett deserves to infiltrate every major city um I, dude i was looking at it and i was like this uh, this feels like the end 
Like it feels like. Oh yeah, end. no, it's absolutely a, an apocalyptic bellwether. I just mean, once you accept that, then you can just go enjoy. You can just being enjoy, in Margaritaville. Yeah, you know? enjoy the Jimmy Buffett experience in the middle <laughs> yeah. of Times Square. Like absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, man. Yeah, go and then you pop over to the M M&M and M store and uh, go to Planet Hollywood. Do your thing. That's that such a weird. It is weird. It is weird bringing people to New York. Like when people actually come over and visit and stuff, they're like, "Hey, I want to go hang out in Times Square." Talk about mental health problems. It's like, do you want to really go to the mental health epicenter of New York City and really just watch the carnage happen? Because it's not what you think it is on TV. Like, yeah. it is not at all. Yeah, I would go to Times Square in the mid-70s. But there's nothing in me that that likes Times Square currently. Nothing no, in me. Times, Times Square in the mid-70s would have been fun. Yeah, I think I think when people visit New York for the first time, it's worth going just because of the overwhelming feel of it it's like so many people i mean i remember the first time coming out of the station like you know taking a train to times square i was like 20 and just walking up out of the walking up out of the station and looking up and like it was the first time i couldn't see the tops of buildings you know i was just looking up around me and it was like they just went into the sky and they went literally into clouds like i'd never seen that you know, it's just like, holy shit. Like, it's so many people. Seeing and, skyscrapers for the first time. It's just like, yeah, it was whoa. kind of a foggy night. And I was just like, this is insane. And then, yeah. I mean, you, you get used to it within five minutes. And then you're like, this sucks, dude. Let's, you know, <laughs> get out of here. Um, like, there's such a range of smells that are hitting me right now. I don't know yeah, what all of them yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is too much, honestly. In Times um, Square, I stepped over a guy one time. I was actually going to LOL Comedy Club, uh, which I would not go to ever again. Um, but I was walking there and I stepped over a guy that was on the corner and there was a cop that was standing there above him saying something into his radio. I don't know what he was saying, but I walked over this dude. I was like, is that guy dead? And I said it to the cop and the cop just looked at me and went, I don't know. Like he just shrugged it off like probably like it was just like what the fuck like this is like and that was one of the first one of my first experiences of like going through Times square to get to a place and not like having a thing where i was doing some touristy shit like it was learning learning that the police are indifferent to human life is a good lesson for you though i feel like that was like a good it really was it was like a good metaphor for you know you're like oh oh yeah I i think they're like that with everybody it's like, oh, you truly don't give a shit. All right. Yeah, yeah, you don't care. Uh, fair, Did you even fair. check his pulse? Or are you just yeah, assuming mm-hmm. that he might be dead? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you certainly step over some people and stuff. But it was, it's amazing how quickly the brain normalizes it all. I think my first time in New York, it was like uh, 2005, maybe. And it was just, I once I saw all that stuff, and then yeah. finally started just like hanging out and real new york with real people um you know it's like it's the coolest man yeah new york is a place it really is an amazing city and it it truthfully is like you know i talk shit about Times square but it's they got nicer walgreens that's what i'm into (laughs) they have the walgreens the walgreens and the cbs they have a turf war and it's usually right across the street yeah but what is it uh duane reed what's the one that's owned by walgreens but it's like a nicer walgreens yeah it's duane reed Dwayne Reed. Yeah, it's like yeah, rich yeah. people Walgreens. It's a secret. It, you don't know it's a Walgreens. They set it up like it's not. You're like, I'm a For Dwayne sure. Reed man. You know what I mean? And then you're like, ah, fuck, this is just a Walgreens. But It's just more it's expensive. A, it's a like, more expensive Walgreens. But I remember like, that. Yeah, that blew my mind. 
<laughs> this is the Walgreens that doesn't have any sales. I don't like this store. Yeah. <laughs> when I moved to New York, when I moved to the East Coast, the first time I lived in New Jersey, and I had to go through Port Authority bus terminal every day to get to work. Nice. And there was not, I don't think that I could have been exposed to more, to more um, just human darkness in such a short period of time than having to go in and out of Port Authority bus terminal every single day. Yeah. Because I think people don't realize that like that epicenter right there, that's like the beginning of Times Square, you know, before you get to all the lights and everything like that. Right, right. Like if you want to see struggle, like if you need to have an eye-opening experience of mental health, drug addiction, struggle, things like that, fucking go to Port Authority every day for a week. And you will walk out of that being like, okay, some shit needs to change. No, like, absolutely. That, I, I feel like just hanging out in Port Authority for an hour will make you at least Google how to be a social worker. For sure. Like they'll at least Google it, you know? <laughs> just, do I have the experience to do this job? Because right, fuck me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally, I totally understand, man. I totally get it. Um, I have to bolt soon. Is that... Oh. No, that's fine. Actually, I was, gonna, I was no, no, I was going to say this actually. Um, okay, what cool. I really wanted to wrap, what I want to wrap this episode up with is, uh, so where are you at today? Like, how's the mental health doing today? How's the, mm. how's, how's the brain soup doing today? Got it. Um, it's okay. It's been a rough couple of months. Um, the, I, and I don't know how much of that is seasonal, how much of that is, um, still just uh, COVID isolation stuff. How much is like, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so like, I'm fine. I'm fine, but everything's yeah. good, but it's like, um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like skipping down the street these days. It's hard to, I mean, yeah, it's, you it's can't like, really do that right now. Yeah. Every day we get this jarring reminder that um, whatever we thought the future was going to look like we're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so we're just, we're, it's like stepping into this weird unknown. And I think that, uh, particularly in America, um, I've been reading a lot about this lately is like the, the idea that we were raised with just this raised in such a, especially people our age were raised in such a static environment that yeah. we considered everything to be a blip on the screen. Nothing was world changing. And now it's just like pandemics, global warming, major geopolitical shakeups you're just like oh i guess i don't know how to imagine my life in 20 years or you know what i'm saying like you used to picture it it was kind of the same but maybe with like some nicer tvs right now it's like i don't fucking know what's gonna happen so it's just been a lot of like uh i don't know it's been a weird vibe like there's been a vibe shift jonas yeah i mean that's fair have you felt the vibe shift i have actually (laughs) you know i actually literally have felt the vibe shift in the last especially couple of months yeah, there's been a vibe shift. And I don't Excellent. think that's necessarily, a, I mean, aside from the things that are blatantly bad and hurtful and all the suffering in the world, I don't For think sure. a vibe shift has to be a bad thing. I think we can use it to make a better uh, a better tomorrow. But it's been, yeah, it's just been a weird, just, a, yeah, it's been a weird vibe lately. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm, you know, I understand that. Um, but I'm good, man. Too. I'm good. There's nothing, there's nothing dire in my brain at the moment. You know what I'm saying? That's good. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, this has been a great conversation and I'm glad, you know, that you have been working on the things that you have been working on. And I'm glad that honestly, the way that this whole situation has turned out with you, obviously we talked about it earlier, that could have gone real fucking south, 
you yeah. know, and yeah. you know, you, it's cool that you're, I'm glad that you're back on your own. I'm glad that you're creating. I'm glad that you're getting ready to go, you know, hoping to yeah, go back. I mean, out I gotta, I gotta move. I gotta get, I either get up there or get back to LA. I mean, I gotta like, I know that's the next step to whatever it is from all the shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah cancer sobriety all all the same just the same suffering soup i know that the next step is like okay i gotta get back to like my life you know right Um, absolutely so yeah that's probably coming i don't know if i'm gonna renew my lease here so you know you mean that you mean the train station apartment you don't you don't know if you're train station house yeah i don't don't know if i'm gonna keep (laughs) it's so funny i say apartment because I i say apartment because i live in new york and i forget that the rest of the world lives in houses I'm just oh, no, saying. I mean, I, I always say apart. I, I, ha- this is my first house I've ever like, I lived in a house with a bunch of people when I lived in LA, right. but this is the first like house I've been able to just rent. Now keep in mind, it's Nashville, you know, that's, right. so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to brag, you know what I'm saying? 100%. Uh, it's like, you can rent a house in Nashville for, um, subletting half of a studio apartment in Greenpoint. <laughs> does that make sense like no, so it's, it totally not, it's, makes not, sense. it's not a big brag don't worry no i get it, it um, to- but i'm totally renting a little sense. bungalow next to a train station a bungalow <laughs> it's, yeah it's all right you know yeah it's a bungalow yeah i didn't I even know they some, had bungalows in nashville <laughs> yeah I listen to some tiki music I, uh, <laughs> it's great yeah throw on a yeah. les baxter record and um dance the night away in my bungalow fuck yeah yeah man um so where can people find you where where can they uh where can they find you online Okay, uh, online. Um, that's I'm on I'm on Twitter. That's at Jesse Case. I don't have Instagram or anything. I need to start one, but um, you know, whatever. Maybe I will. I don't know. Uh, at Jesse Inst- Case. Instagram can be fun. Sure, sure. I, I suppose. Um, yeah. So at Jesse Case. That's J E S S E C A S E. And then I have a podcast that you can give give it a Google and listen to it. It's called Jesse versus Cancer. And it's uh, what I did was when I first got diagnosed with the ass cancer, I just did, started doing a podcast every week um, to sort of document it. Um, and then it wound up just evolving because then I had like a, you know, for now a good outcome and whatever. And then right. everything got crazy. It was like, I, I immediately, I had like a good cancer outcome and then immediately like Donald Trump got a fucking elected and then <laughs> there's a pandemic. So I, I kept meaning to end the podcast. It's still right. Jesse versus cancer, but everything just started getting so nuts that I just kept it going, talking about stuff as you so, should have, um, but yeah, you know, uh, if you want to start at episode one, hear the journey, give that a listen. Otherwise, just I think I've been talking about um, whatever, you know, weird, weird riffs with my neighbor and stuff lately. I don't. I know. mean, listen, you had a good cancer outcome and then the world got cancer. So, like, you know what? That's we we got it in the form of a Trump sized tumor and now a fucking pandemic sized one, too. So I feel like no, it, it was ironic, like getting over all the stuff. And then it was, I think, like that day he won the republican primary yeah i was like oh he can actually i was like really i just huh. i feel like i should be happier about i feel like i should be happier about my news but i'm just immediately terrified okay yeah, yeah. all right fair all right <laughs> so people can check that out find you at jesse case on twitter yeah um, and then if i come yell uh, scream jokes at you you know come come to that but that'll all be all twitter and stuff yeah, please do. And dude, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much yeah, for I've had doing a blast, the show. Man. Of course. Um, and real quick, Thanks I do want to throw it out there. Uh, 
rest in peace to Gilbert Godfrey because yes. that fucking happened today. And yeah. that was a super big bummer. But you know what? It's a huge bummer. Gilbert, for anybody that didn't, I only got to see Gilbert like and actually interact with him on a couple of weekends that I worked with them. And just in case anybody doesn't know this, behind the scenes, regardless of what he was on stage, because, you know, his jokes were filthy and dark and all sorts of fucked up and everything. I don't think I have met a sweeter headliner, especially a headliner at his level than Gilbert was behind like behind the scenes. Just an absolute fucking sweetheart of a dude. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've heard nothing but great things about him. I've I've never met him. I was a huge fan of his work, but I, but I uh, yeah, I've heard nothing but nothing but great things. And uh, to echo your point, that it, that is rare at that level. There can be some standoffishness in the old green room sometimes, for sure. It's <laughs> it, it is a very rare thing to have somebody that's as as famous as he was worldwide. You know, yeah. Um, to be as as much of a sweetheart as he was, and he truly gave a fuck about other comics, like you know, people that open for him and stuff. Like he truly gave a fuck about him. So if you have not actually done a dive into Gilbert Godfrey's work, uh, go do it. He's there's so much stuff online of his that's great. His roasts that he did, um, his material, just lots of stuff. So rest in peace to Gilbert. Um, you know, comedy's all gonna miss you, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately part of the part of the game, but he, uh, yeah, it he is. was a fucking great dude. So, yeah, um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, to anybody you, else man. out there, thank you for listening to the show. And if you guys have any questions or ever or you ever just are feeling in the shits and you want to talk to somebody, feel free to hit me up on any of my social medias. Um, you know, I will totally chat you up. I don't give a fuck if I've never met you before in my entire life. I don't care. I'll, I'll chat you up if you need it. So. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into the Tromedy Hour. This has been a great conversation. Jesse Case, thank you again for uh, doing the show. And Thanks, uh, everybody, go out and see Jesse and check out his Twitter. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful night.